Lifestyle of Prayer. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 1. Father, again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we approach your word tonight, Father, with great reverence. We know, Father, that an amazing price was paid for us to have this truth, to be in a country where we can openly read this book without fear of, um, at least at this point, without fear, Father, of persecution. So tonight, Father, as we approach this, I'm asking you to help me and I'm asking you to help each of us in this room, not just myself, but also the students. I'm asking you to help each of us to have ears to hear what you really want to speak to us as we look over the basics of what the Word of God says about this topic of prayer. Lord, in Jesus' name, guide us into truth about these things and help us go way beyond just formulas. Help us consider what it means to have prayer as a lifestyle as opposed to prayer as a part of our schedule. Help us understand the principle of communing with you and what we can expect from it and what you desire to do for us because of a, a life of prayer. So Lord, we trust you in this and as we begin this course, I, again Lord, as much as I understand how to it is an act of my faith and an act of my will, Father, but I yield myself to you. I yield my spirit to you. I yield my soul to you, my memory, Father, my body. And I do ask you, Father, please, please use me, Lord, to help us. Use me, Father, please help me to open the Word of God and to faithfully amplify and to give the sense of these things so that these students do go away rejoicing because they get some understanding. Father, none of us want to waste our time. And we're here, Father, because we believe in you. And we believe that you're a God who's ready and willing and able to show himself alive unto all of, all of your people. So, Lord, help us begin to understand how to connect with you and how prayer is this conduit, this, this something that you've released that's something that we have that we can work together with that causes heaven to touch earth and causes earth to be in touch with heaven. So we trust you to help us in these things, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I do pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, this is going to be session number one then on the lifestyle of prayer. So you have your notes there. You should have. And, if, and I'm going to just read the first paragraph. And uh, then I'm going to give you a couple of uh, verses already that aren't on the outline, but it's just that I want us to get started. But right in the very beginning, I'll just read this first paragraph. Our aim in prayer is to be effective. Would everybody agree with that? I mean, we don't want to be like Paul where he says we just, you know, as it were, we buffet the air, where we just do something for the sake of doing it. In other words, if that's all prayer was about, uh, there wouldn't be much reason to be involved with it. It would just be a show of something trying to make yourself appear religious. But prayer, Jesus has, has made it, you know, he's allowed us this access to heaven for a reason. He wants us to be people that not only uh, 
well, bring heaven's change into our own lives, but far more importantly, he wants us to be conduit of heaven's authority into the rest of this world. And he's done what he's done for a purpose, and it is available to whosoever will, but we, we need, again, somehow to understand that there are some, I hate to use the word rules, but, uh, you know, prayer, there are several. We will, in this course, go through some of the different types of prayer. And I'll give you the basic illustration that we used to use in other Bible schools years ago. It's, it's like sports. There's tennis. Let's say this. You can, if you, so you know tennis, uh, football, rugby, swimming, badminton. They're all sports, aren't they? But they're all played by different rules. I mean, how would you, it would be a very, a rather interesting thing if you played badminton by rugby rules. Right? I mean, can you imagine a little bit of confusion, to say the least? Or if you played tennis, you know, by football rules. Uh, but they're all sports. When it comes to prayer, now this is where you have to hear me. The Bible does teach many different forms of prayer. They're all prayer, but some of the prayers have different, as it were, rules, regulations, uh, different principles. In other words, just like you wouldn't want to play rugby by badminton rules, there are like the prayer of faith, the prayer of consecration, dedica dedication, prayer of agreement, prayer of worship, the different prayers that are actually listed in the Bible. What happens is what we seem to do or tend to do in, in Christianity is we tend to heap all prayer together in one bag and just try to approach it from one angle. And if there's not a lot of results from that, then you have to ask yourself, well, why, why isn't there? Because God's Word is very clear about the fact that He is the Father from whom all fatherhood takes his name, and that he is the giver of every good and perfect gift, and that he wants to be involved in our life. Amen? Somebody say amen anyhow. Just help me out here as we start here. <laughs> he wants to be involved in our lives, doesn't he? And so prayer is much more than some religious little thing we do. Uh, as far as heaven is concerned, I, like I said, an incredible price has been paid for us to have access to the very throne of God, in particular in this new covenant. And uh, we'll get to some verses sometime during the course about just that, because that's what the Bible says. It says, therefore, now having access to God. Uh, that's an incredible truth. I mean, you and I have access to God. And my mind just looks at it even logically. If, if indeed Christ has done something that has allowed us to have access to God in the first place, well, surely that access to God is for far more far more reasons than just you and I worshiping Him uh, because of all the other verses when Jesus says, of course, the same, like, you know, because again, He said, the things that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do because He said, I'm going unto my Father, and, and so on. So I'm just saying we, we do want to be effective in prayer. We don't want to be, as again, like Paul said, just beating the air, making a lot of noise just for a pretense, which is what, again, the Pharisees and Sadducees would do where Jesus had to rebuke them so often about praying to be seen as men and what have you. Anyhow, our aim in prayer is to be effective. Prayer is the foundation of every successful Christian endeavor. It really is. I want to say that again. Sometimes this is so simple that, again, we miss the simple things. Prayer really is the foundation for every successful Christian endeavor. And forgive me for taking my liberty already as we start here, but let me tell you, there's a lot of Christian endeavors that may have an outward show of success, but I'm talking about endeavors that have success as far as heaven's definition of success. Uh, 
prayer is something that keeps us connected to heaven. Well, let me keep reading. <laughs> prayer is the foundation of every successful Christian endeavor. Jesus is the perfect example of one who knows how to pray and get results. Jesus spent hours separated from the people, praying and fellowshipping with his heavenly Father. The time he spent in prayer, now listen, the time he spent in prayer prepared him to minister effectively. Now, that is important to me because, again, this whole principle that in every course I'll teach, I'll probably make mention of this again. Um, so forgive me if some of you that are taking the other courses, if you hear me repeat myself, like I said, you've got to love me anyhow because I have to repeat myself because I don't know who will be taking different courses. One of the, one of the foundational truths of, of, of scriptural understanding in the New Covenant that is still very difficult for people to comprehend in some cases is this issue between his divinity and his, and his humanity. And um, the principle of what I just said, the fact that Jesus, Jesus himself spent much time in prayer because a lot of people would say, well, if he was, if he's God, you know, God incarnate, God in the flesh, why would he, you know, why would he even need to? Why doesn't he just go about being God? Now, if you hear where I'm going with this, in other words, I want you to understand that when Philippians says that he stripped himself of all of his Godhead powers, it means just that. It says he laid down all of his divinity. Hebrews says, a body has thou prepared me. Jesus Christ took upon himself a physical body of flesh and blood and came into this earth. And it says that he laid down, remember, his deity. He laid down his Godhead ability. And again, uh, if I have to pretend as if you've never heard me share it before. There's these verses in the, all through the New Testament where you'll see him referred to, or in the epistles, as well, all through the New Testament, where he's referred to, remember, as Jesus Christ, and other times where he's referred to as Christ Jesus. Uh, many other places where he's referred to as the Son of Man, other places he's called the Son of God. In a four-year, in a, in a larger Bible college, they'll teach you this on a full semester course and the course is all around one Greek word called hupostasis, and it speaks to the foundational understanding, again, of humanity and deity. But the point is, Son of Man, Son of God, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. And every time in Scripture the word Jesus precedes the word Christ, it speaks of His humanity. Every time Jesus comes before Christ, it speaks of His humanity. Every time the word Christ comes before Jesus, it speaks of His deity. Every time it refers to the Son of Man, it's speaking about His humanity. Every time it says the Son of God, it's referring to His deity. Now again, why this gets important is because not one miracle, not one mighty work was ever done by the Son of God or ever done by Christ Jesus. Every miracle was done by the Son of Man or, through, or by Jesus Christ. In other words, it was done by a man anointed of the same Holy Spirit that you and I have. Hallelujah. But he, this is the thing. See, he stripped himself of his Godhead power. So here we have the Son of Man not acting through God's, through his deity, but acting through his humanity, having the same needs that you and I have, the same needs of going to the Father and in prayer getting instruction, getting, 
getting the strength, like Ephesians, it'll say in Ephesians, Paul said, we draw strength from our communion with God. If people are weak, they're weak because they're not around the God of all strength, because you can't spend time in prayer really learning how to get into the presence of the Father and come out always feeling weak, because His strength will get off on you. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. The word renew there means is the word exchange. Did you know that? The Hebrew word for the word renew is exchange. It says that they that wait upon the Lord will exchange strengths. Hallelujah. It means you get to lay down your weakness and you get to pick up some of His strength. I don't know if you understand, but that's a pretty good deal. Hallelujah. But all these things, you see, but Jesus, what I want you to see, if this was what Jesus had to do, this man that we call our Lord and Savior, and again, if He's our pattern for life and He had to go before the Father, how much more do we need to understand the necessity and the privilege, you see, both. We don't want it to be legalistically approached, but at the same time, it is a necessity for any of us who, who, who desire to walk successfully in this Christian experience. And again, I, I'm hesitant to use the word successful because I'm not just meaning, again, that you're going to be successful. I'm talking about what it means to you put it this way, it's a success if you find yourself in a hard place and you're able to be at peace. Uh, and so prayer is what allows you to be in tough places and have a good spirit at the same time as well. But anyhow, so uh, prayer, our aim in prayer is to be effective. Jesus Christ himself is our example. He spent many, many hours because he was on this earth operating in his humanity as a man anointed with the Holy Spirit. And again, Remember, he, not one, he was 33 years old when his ministry began. And his ministry began with his baptism in the Holy Spirit. When John baptized him in Jordan and he beheld the Spirit of the Lord come upon him like a dove. And from that point forward is where his ministry, as we understand it, began. Okay? But now let's look in John chapter 5 for a moment. I want you, this isn't on your outline, but I want you to, I just want to validate that part as well. I want you to look at a couple of verses here. And again, for, for those of you that are new, everything I teach is from the Amplified Bible. And because I'm speaking from the Amplified Bible, trust me, these few verses I'm going to quote are really amplified. <laughs> in other words, they add a lot more to it than the King James or the NIV. But in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus is our example. I want you to see this verse. John chapter 5, verse 19. This is where I'll start in verse 18 so you can see it in context. Verse 17. It says, but Jesus answered them. He's dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But Jesus answered them, my father has worked even until now. He has never ceased working. He is still working. And I too must be at divine work. Verse 18, this made the Jews more determined than ever to kill him, to do away with him, because he not only was breaking, weakening, and violating the Sabbath, but he actually was speaking of God as being in a special sense his own father making himself equal, putting himself on a level with God. So Jesus answered them by saying, verse 19, now really listen to this. I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, the Son is able to do nothing of himself, of his own accord, but he is able to do only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does is what the Son does in the same way in his turn. 
Now, I want to tell you, that verse, these few verses are very, very important verses in Scripture. Again, we skim over them kind of rapidly. But really hear what Jesus said. He said, I assure you, I mean, there's strong, there's a strong tense in the Greek here. I assure you, most solemnly, I tell you, really listen to this part. The son is able to do nothing of himself. Now, you hear how that backs up what I just said. If he's speaking from his deity, that would have been a lie. Because deity, he could have done anything in and of himself. But again, you see, he's validating the fact that he is operating purely from his humanity. This is the great mystery that Christ, you know, set his, Jesus Christ, that he set aside his Godhead and became like we are and was tempted in all ways as we were, yet without sin. Think about it. God can, it wouldn't be any big deal for God to be tempted with evil, would it? Would it? Because it's God. So see, if Jesus, if Christ, if it said that Christ was tempted in all ways, and yet without sin, we'd, 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 you'd, you'd be able to say, well, so what? <laughs> but see, Jesus was in his humanity. Jesus was tempted. It wouldn't even be a temptation to God. But he was tempted, if we're to believe Scripture. It says he was tempted, tested, and tried in all ways, even as we were, okay? But again, so now hear this for, I really want you to catch this, the importance of why, as we start this whole course on prayer, uh, I've just seen this truth, which again astounded me in the early days, it still astounds me, that the fact that the very Lamb of God, Jesus Christ Himself, He showed us the importance of what it meant to spend time before the Father. But now hear it again as I quote again from John 5, 19 again. He said, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, the Son is able to do nothing. To do nothing. I mean, that's powerful of himself, of his own accord. But he is able to do only what he sees, what he sees the Father doing. Well, where do you think he sees? Where is it that he sees what the Father's doing? Well, that's his prayer time. This is what it means. This is what our goal is, is to become people who learn how to commune with God until we really do begin to live in the Spirit, where we walk in the Spirit, where we begin to see what the Father does. I, again, was blessed by, you know, being brought up by some, or, you know, taught by some incredible old men and women of God, true prophets of God. And I would hear them, when I was young in the Lord, I'd hear them talk over and over again and teach us about how before they'd do conferences and how they'd be in prayer. And uh, I'd hear Oral Roberts share about how he'd be in deep times of prayer and that God, before he ever walked into a meeting, God would show him a woman. He'd show her the color of the dress that she'd be wearing. He would show him the, the, you know, the t where she was going to be sitting in the auditorium. And he'd said, I'd, God would show me another man. He'd show me a man and show me the shirt and the color of the shirt he'd be wearing and, and showed me uh, a man, you know, wearing glasses and he was going to sit at the right part, right hand side of the auditorium and he'd walk in late and what have you. And he said, I would see these things in prayer before I ever came to the meeting. He said, then I'd walk into the conference and he said, I'd begin to preach. And he said, I'd just see played out before my eyes what I'd already been, seen, been shown in my prayer time 
by the Holy Spirit in prayer. And he said, I just acted out then what I'd already seen and caught in my spirit in prayer. Isn't that amazing? But over and over again, this is the, the men and the, of God and stuff that I was taught under would tell these stories, you know, about how they captured these things. Everything happened beforehand while they'd been in prayer. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He said, again, let me read it again. He said, the son is able to do nothing of himself of his own accord, but he's able to do only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does is what the Son does in the same way. And this is what I want you to begin to release your own faith for as you begin to develop yourselves into a real, vibrant prayer life. You need to begin to release your faith. I mean, on purpose. That Father will show me things. This is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do, didn't He? That He would show us things to come. In fact, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will show you all things that the Father has shown me. And again, see, you have to release your faith for this. He wants to show you. He wants to show you some things so that you begin to see in advance. He wants you prepared. I say this all the time that it's never been God's idea for any of his people to be caught off guard. But 99.9% .9 of God's people are caught off guard when they don't have to be because we really have not done or gone to the place where the preparation comes from, which is this place of prayer. Are you following me so far? Now let's go on. In the same chapter, look, I want you to look at verse 30 in the same chapter. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 26, John 5, 26. This is still Jesus speaking. It says, For even as the Father has life in himself and is self-existent, so he has given, the Father has given to the Son to have life in himself and be self-existent. Verse 27. And he has given him authority and granted him power to execute, exercise, or practice judgment because he is a son of man, very man. Verse 28. Eight, do not be surprised and wonder at this, for the time is coming when all those who are in the tomb shall hear his voice, and they shall come out. Those who have practiced doing good will come out to the resurrection and new life. Those who have done evil will be raised for judgment, raised to meet their sentence. Now look at verse 30. Again, if you don't have an Amplified Bible, just listen, because this is a long verse in the Amplified. So just listen to this. I am able to do nothing from myself, independently, or of my own accord, but only as I am taught by God, and as I get His orders. Even as I hear, I judge. I decide as I am bidden to decide. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. I love that part. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. And my judgment, now listen to this last part of the verse, and amplify it. And my judgment is right, is just and righteous, because I do not seek or even consult my own will. <laughs> I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, my own aim, my own purpose, but only the will and the pleasure of the Father who sent me. Hallelujah. Big verse. But listen to this again. Why prayer is so important and what 
what Jesus Christ said was produced through his prayer life. Again, I just really want you to catch this before we start walk, marching through all these verses. Jesus said, I am not able to do anything from myself. That's, again, you see how that flies in the face of a lot of religious tradition right there where people just say Jesus can do anything. Well, you see, on one part, that sounds correct. Jesus could do anything. But he's saying right here, I did nothing until I heard what the Father wanted me to do. In other words, it wouldn't have happened had I tried to do something that was outside of what the Father wanted me to do. I'm only following. That's what it says here. It says, I decided as I was bidden to decide. And I love the part that says, as the voice comes to me, as his voice comes to me, I give a decision. Wouldn't it be nice if that was how you and I really lived? I mean, I don't know about you, but anybody besides me ever made some rather poor decisions in their life, <laughs> you know, made some mistakes. If we could learn how to quiet ourselves and how to become men and women truly men and women of prayer. I'm saying that you and I have the same right to have the same faith to believe because he said, he said that what he did, we can do, right? So there's no reason why we can't hope or why we don't have exactly the same opportunity as he had to enjoy this access that we have to heaven through his blood and through his sacrifice and learn how to listen and learn how to wait upon His voice to speak to us. This is why, again, we do have to learn to quiet ourselves and to learn how to be still. Be still, it says, and know that I'm God. But how many of you know the truth of the matter is we are just always so rushed? What I mean is we, you know, we make our lives into a mess, even if it wasn't a mess, because we rush ourselves and we busy and busy and busy ourselves about a thousand things that are nowhere near as important as this issue right here. I mean, I talk with people for so, for, I've talked with people for so many years, you know, who, who spend years of their life trying to get someplace and never really get where they want to get. And when you try to communicate to them about the need to maybe pull back and learn, as it were, the art of intercession, the art of prayer, what it means to be with God, You'll hear them say things like, well, but I don't have time for all that. Or, you know, I, or all manner of statements that we just make. And it's not that they're, you know, being crazy. It's just that I don't know what else to say to them. Well, then enjoy the next several years of your life because they'll only be a repeat of what you previously experienced. In other words, why spend another 10 years going where you get 20% of what you've hoped for when you could maybe give one year of your life you know, just think about it. You may think, oh, but that's a whole year. But just think, if you gave one year of your life to really, really diligently developing into a person who learns how to be with the Lord, how to linger with the Father, how to call upon Him through this Word, and how to, again, understand prayer. Just think that one year would pay off in so many dividends because it would multiply the effectivity of all of, your, all of the future years you step into. Uh, Julie, my wife, she puts it this way. There's a, well, in fact, in Jeremiah, there's a simple verse in the Amplified that says, we pour forth prayers for the future. I don't know where it's at, so don't ask me the scriptural reference, but it's in Jeremiah. We pour forth prayers for the future. And it's a simple statement. I remember the first time I heard it said, though, 
your future is as good as your prayer life. Think about it. Because your prayers affect your future. I mean, your future, you have a future already planned without prayer, but you also have a future out there that will only be accessible to you through prayer. Now, did you hear what I just said? There's, there's, there's one future. See, there's, a, there's many futures before you. Uh, one is yours. <laughs> and the, there's another one that's the one that God has planned for you. I don't know if you understand this, but it's very possible that the one God has planned for you may be better. Because whether you like to hear this or not, God's actually smarter than you. <laughs> and you know what it says, that other verse, that very familiar verse in Jeremiah, he said, I know the thoughts. I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you. Plans to give you hope and to do you good in your future. Remember? Isn't that correct? See, God's hope, God's plan is to do you good. But again, we have to learn how to cooperate with heaven so that those good things, the good life, it says that you might live the good life which God hath foreordained for us to walk in. That's what it says in Ephesians, that the good life that God's foreordained might actually be experienced. But you and I, when we don't learn how to really cultivate this life of prayer, you see, our vision is blinded. We're hindered. We don't see the heavenly sent possibilities. I love it. That's a phrase from another verse in the Amplified Bible. The heavenly sent possibilities. We're, we have like clouded vision. We're walking around like this with a mask and a screen, and we miss a lot of things that we would have seen had we prayed and actually allowed this connection with heaven to become a workable truth in our lives. Anyhow, so let me quote John 5.30 one more time, then we'll move on. Jesus said, I am able to do nothing from myself independently of my own accord, but only as I'm taught by God and as I get his orders. Praise God. Even as I hear, I judge. I decide as I am bidden to decide. As the voice comes to me, as the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. And my judgment is right, is just, is and righteous, because, I love it, listen to this part, I don't even seek or consult my own will. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get to that place? I do not seek or I don't consult. In other words, what do you want to do, Rod? <laughs> I don't consult my own will, he said. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, my own aim, my own purpose, but only the will and the pleasure of the one who sent me. You say it's hard to do that. Well, you know what? All good things take some work to get to. I don't know. It, I don't care what it is. Anything, you know, it's always easier, like to say, to obtain than it is to maintain. It, you can get a great marriage, but keeping a great marriage takes work. You know what I mean? You can get a great building, but to keep a building great, you've got to work on it. You know what I'm trying to say? In other words, you, you see, it's like they say in the world, you get what you pay for. In the long run, you get what you pay for. You can get something cheap or you can get something that has incredible value. If it has incredible value, it'll probably cost a little bit more of your time, but boy, the dividends it'll pay later will be incredible. Now, one other verse before we get to the actual outline here is John 8, 8:28. I just want you to see this one. Very similar in its statement. John chapter 8, verse 28 in the Amplified Bible. So Jesus added, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, you will realize and know and understand that I am He for whom you look and that I do nothing of myself, 
of my own accord or on my own authority, but I say exactly what my Father has taught me. Hallelujah. So there's three verses. The first verse I read, John 5, 19, said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Verse 30 said, right here, he said, uh, he said I, only, I only decide as I'm bidden to decide. As the voice comes to me, I decide. And then John 8, 28 is where it says, I only do what the Father wants me to do. And I'm just saying, you see, he was in a position of hearing from the Father. And it all came through this lifestyle of prayer that he had. He didn't just pray on occasion. He stayed and walked and lived in a revelation of this. Now let's get back to the outline now, okay? I've got two quotes here, like I said, two famous quotes. John Wesley here, of course, the great man of God from this nation. He made this statement. And again, think, don't, sometimes, as I always say, don't just read over something too quickly. Think about, think about the people that said this. I mean, you know, all the incredible weight of ministry that John Wesley had all those, in, all those years. And for him, if you can like picture him sitting down with a pen or with a quill and, you know, quill and ink and where he writes this down and you can see him thinking to himself, it seems God is limited by our prayer life that he can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. And just think about that. Think about, in other words, like the revelation coming to Wesley as he, as everything that he's seen and he's witnessed, and he goes, huh, interesting. He said, it seems God can do nothing for humanity. That God is limited by our prayer life. Think about that statement. That God is limited. In other words, there's something about us in prayer that releases heaven's abilities. Now you say, I know that. Well, I know, I can say I know that too, but we can both sit here and say, if we knew it, why don't we do a whole lot more about it? this is why we're here. Jonathan Edwards, the great American reformer, he said, quote, when God has something very great to accomplish for his church, it is his will that there should precede it the extraordinary prayers of his people. And it is revealed when God is about to accomplish great things for his church, he will begin by remarkably pouring out his spirit of grace and supplication. Hallelujah. In other words, this is why we can say today we are, you know, on the earth, we are in the middle of a great movement of prayer. This is all around the world. That's what they talk about, the great prayer movement. And if, again, if you can follow through with what Edward said, it says, it seems when God is about to do something great for his church, he remarkably pours out this spirit of grace and supplication. And it is true. Is there is like a spirit that's been poured out, a fresh spirit on many in the body of Christ where all of a sudden prayer is becoming something that they no longer talk about. It's their, their people are finding it easier and easier to spend time in prayer. And that is, an in, that is indeed an indicator, like I said, that God is indeed about to do something incredible. So this is good news. I mean, all this prayer movement that we might just think is part of a movement is really a precursor to something that's about to happen in the realm of the Spirit. Because prayer, a lot of people are in prayer and if this is the funny thing. You see, when people call upon the name of the Lord and we do all these things in prayer, I always get this picture of us down here. And we believe that we're doing this. You know, I'm praying, Father, Father, do this, do this, Lord. And I'm praying and you go to another church and they're going, Father, do this and oh, Lord, this. And they're all praying. And 
they're praying in one direction, and then you go to another church, and they're praying in another direction, you go to another church, and they're praying in another direction, and everybody, and they all think that they're doing this, and that this is what's happening, and the thing is, I always kind of picture God up in heaven, and he kind of bumps Michael, the archangel, and bumps Gabriel, and he says, check them out. He said, uh, they all think that their prayers are doing this, and they all think their prayers are doing this, and these over here think their prayers are doing that. He says, it's kind of funny, isn't it? And he said, but the thing is, he said, I've got them all praying. <laughs> uh, and it's just another word. So I, what, somehow, if you can catch that, this is why I don't get too shook up about what my immediate focus is. I've learned, all I know is this, God just wants us to be a people that really are communing with Him and really in pursuit of Him. Because it is, don't, see, don't ever think that prayer isn't affecting something in the realm of the Spirit. Every single time you pray, it adds like a weight of something that allows a release from heaven. I mean, this is why, this is what encouraged me all those years ago. This is what got me so involved. I mean, as I began to remember, I've shared with you my very first, remember, ministry position. Remember was that I was hired and salaried as an intercessor in this church in California of about 1,800 people when I went, when I started. And I was salaried, remember, I was paid. My job was to pray four hours a day, five days a week back in, you know, this is 22 years ago. And like I said, I, I, you know, I made, I learned so many things because of the weight of the responsibility that I felt upon me of praying for these, you know, by the time I left 2,200, 2,400 people, you know, because of all the prayer requests that had come in every weekend, it was my job to take them on Monday and go over these things. And I would, you know, like I said, it's too much to go into now, but I'm just saying, I, one of the things the Lord had to, had to deal with me, one of the first things He dealt with me when I first began to enter into this thing and really begin to try to learn was, how first, how weak I was, and I'd just cry out to God and say, God, you know, this is too heavy a responsibility, you know, for me. And, and I'll, so many things that He taught me, like I said, we'll get to different things, but the one, one of the things that, he, that I've never, ever forgotten that's, that stayed with me forever is He said, Son, He said, you have to believe that every single time you call upon my son's name and you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, he said that every single time you pray, things shift in the realm of the heavenlies. Something shifts. He said, you have to believe that. Otherwise, he said, you'll just be playing a religious game. And somehow that has to get into your spirit. See, whether you see what you think you want to see or whatever is not the issue. The issue is, this is the first, the first thing that will happen in a prayer life I guarantee it will not be the fact that you'll shift the destiny of a nation. If you really do begin to enter into a true prayer life, the first thing that will happen is that God will just put His arms around you and tell you how much He loves you. Because the most important thing on the planet for God, as far as His heart is concerned, is everything else is secondary. Is He wants you to know how loved you are by heaven. Because that is the confidence that begins to come and that's why when people first start interpreting their tongues or things like that, all they'll hear is, the, thus saith the Lord, I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. And they think it's such a small thing. Or it's silly and they won't even say it. And as the, but the thing is, because that's the first thing in the heart of God. The number one issue of heaven is for God's people to know they are loved. God's not angry with us anymore. Hallelujah. The wrath of God has been expended upon Jesus. But see, then once you finally get, this is why I always start out the whole Bible school years with, again, teaching on the love walk and teaching on the grace of God, which side of Calvary, is because you have to get to that so that once you sigh and you realize, okay, it's okay between God and I, 
That's when once things are okay vertically, you can begin to live horizontally. And this communion that you have with God can now, having already affected your life, you can begin to affect others' lives. Hear what I'm saying? So that's what I mean. There's so many, there's so many things that are produced from this lifestyle of prayer. But the first thing that he'll produce is a confidence in you, that God loves you. Hallelujah. But from that confidence, he'll begin to want, he'll begin to send you, as it were, with that confidence to affect those around you. And that's what really we're hoping to get to, isn't it? Now, just beneath the paragraph, Jonathan Edwards said, although few realize it, one, maybe the highest ministry in the church is the ministry of intercession. As, now, the reason I say that is because that's what Jesus Christ came into the earth as. He came as an intercessor, Isaiah 59 says. He lived here as an intercessor. And, of course, the Scripture says, right now in heaven, He is seated at the right hand of God where He still ever lives to make intercession for us. Amen? So in reality, see, he did not give his life. He's still giving it where he ever lives. And that's why I say if that was his ministry, then he came as an intercessor, lived as an intercessor, lived in a life of prayer. Then you have to see that possibly that's one of the highest ministries in the whole church. But again, when humanity enters into a church, humanistic forms take priority over prayer. That's one of the places where you can, that's why you'll always see weakness in churches is wherever they've allowed things that look religious to supplant the things that are really divine. In other words, things that take the, have the form of godliness but deny the power of godliness begin to come in and take the place of priority. Where committees and everything else and programs take the place of communing with God. And I always go back to the basic truth and you know, what can you, how can you argue with the fact that the only identifiable statement of Jesus Christ about father's house was that it would be a house of prayer, right? The only statement in scripture about what would identify a true church or the father's house is that it would be a place that would be full of prayer, right? Anyhow, although few realize that the highest ministry in the church is the ministry of intercession, as believers, we should be able to achieve the same results that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. Jesus said, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, John 14, 12. These greater works can be accomplished today, but only by believers who have a deep and a sincere prayer life with God. Point A, what prayer is? The actual Greek word for prayer here in the New Testament is the word prosuke. I've got it down there in your outline. It literally in W. Vine just says, quote, to make requests to God. Webster's Dictionary defines prayer as any spiritual communion with God. But first and foremost, point C, prayer really, what I want you to hear is that prayer is to be an experience of you talking with your dad. Again, like I said, I'm not gonna, we taught it in the first two courses, so I'm not going to you know, go over all of that, belabor that truth. But, but ultimately, that's what it's about. It's not about falling down and becoming super religious. It's about like my daughter, if you've got kids, it's like my daughter Anna, when she's five, six, seven, eight years old, I'm her dad, 
She didn't come in when she knocked. She didn't knock on the door and say, Oh, most father, oh, father, oh, great father, oh, thou great, great, great father, oh, wise and wonderful father, may I see thee, father. Oh, father, may I call upon thee, father. Would thy please give me a dime that I might go to yonder store and purchase a, 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 new, a, a ice cream. Oh, father, humbled that I am to be in your presence. Oh, father. Now, what she did was she'd open the door and she just... I'm dad, and she'd just jump on my lap and put her arm around my shoulder, and that's all I needed because then I just started fishing quarters and half dollars out and saying, go buy some ice cream, you know, <laughs> because she's my baby. And this is, you know, such a simple thing. But see, some of us have had bad experiences maybe as children, but the point is, this is why I quote that verse all the time, God is the Father from whom all fatherhood takes his name. So this is why we have to reteach people about the spirit of this Father. Who he is. So prayer is not about, like I said, you know, having your collar so tight that you go, oh God, you know, where you can go, oh God. No, he's, he's daddy. Above all, you have to be under, you, now I'm telling you, we will never plumb the depths of that truth. What it means to really understand that we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby our hearts are supposed to have this cry coming out of them. Dad, not father, father. But dad, yeah, there's a place to venerate him as father. But he wants this father, son, father, daughter thing to be so tight that we go, hey, dad, can I talk to you? As opposed to, Lord, please don't beat me. <laughs> and so we have to work on that our whole life, you know, sadly. Above all prayers, communing with dad. It's talking with dad. Romans 8, 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. See, again to fear. I mean, that's incredible. When you got born again, my friends, you did not receive a spirit of bondage that again puts you back into a place where you fear. See, this is a brand new covenant. And this covenant says we've received the spirit of adoption. It produces sonship, it says in the Amplified Bible. Producing sonship whereby we cry out. It's just a cry that comes, Dad, Dad. Have you ever, I remember being in a county fair in California as a young boy. Have you ever been, when you're a little bitty child, do you ever remember being with your parents somewhere and all of a sudden turn around and you're lost and you can't see them? Do you remember the fear that comes on you? If you can't, when you, all of a sudden you feel like you're lost and, and you just, that, just like a panic, the panic that comes. But then when suddenly somehow you see them again and you run to them, you're crying, but boy, that you grab that leg and you hug them so tight or whatever that, you know, that kind of a thing. So that's, that's what we're, we're talking about, that kind of a thing where once you, you know who he is, you know, there's that something that just, man, you just, you want to, you just, you know, that's, I'm safe. Dad's here. I'm with dad. It's a good thing to be with dad. My daughter learned a long time ago when she was a little girl, Jamie learned as a young boy, it's good to be with dad alone because every time they were with dad alone, they got something. <laughs> they learned it was cool to be with dad. Point B, the father wants us to call upon him. Now we're going to have to stop here in a minute, but here's several scriptures on the outline now that again are so obvious that, and, and the reason I've got these verses here is because why on earth would the Lord put these verses here if he did not want to answer us? Let me just read a couple real quick before we stop this hour. Psalm 91, 14 to 16. God says, this is God speaking. This is a song that Moses wrote, of course. He said, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. 
he will call upon me. And I'll say, see you later, I don't want to talk. Right? No, it says, he will call upon me, and I will answer him. I just want you to understand, he wants to answer you. you got to get that straight. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him, and I will honor him, and with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 50, verse 14 and 15. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. I mean in the day of trouble. And again, he says, and, I will honor, and, you, and, and you will honor me. So, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, I just quoted it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call upon me and come to pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Hallelujah. And we've got to stop this hour, but let me just say this. One thing I love about the Old Testament is you can't, I challenge people all the time, even when Israel messed up horribly, even when Israel had been in all kinds of sin, total rebellion, I challenge you to find one place in Scripture where when where when God's people in the midst of sin, much less today were the righteous to God, but when they'd been in the midst of sin, I challenge you to find one place that when they turned to God, that God wasn't immediate to come and rescue and redeem and deliver. Because that's who we serve. Our God is a God that answers prayer. All we have to do is get real honest with Him and begin to release our faith that He's waiting for us to call upon His name. Father, we thank You for this first hour then. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.